CSN International presents To Every Man an Answer, the live Bible answer program that equips you to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. If you have a question on the Bible or the Christian faith, you can call us at 1 888 827 5276. That's 1 888 Ask CSN. Now let's get things started. Here's today's host. Well, hello and welcome to Monday's edition of To Every Man and Answer as we begin another week answering your questions on the Bible, the Christian faith, and current events. I'm Scott Parker in for Mike Kessler today, and I'm the pastor of Calvary Chapel in Festus, Missouri, just south of the great city of St. Louis. And I'm also your Bible teacher on a Word for the Church radio program that's heard right here on CSN every Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Central Time, as well as Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. Of course, that's Central Time, and it's always my joy to share our teachings from our pulpit with our CSN listening audience. And uh, again, it's a joy to be with you here today, uh, hosting the program uh, for this Monday. And if you have a question today, you want to give us a call. That number is 8888-ASK-CSN. That's 8888-ASK-CSN, and that translates out to 888-827-5276. And in just a few moments, we're going to have a special guest on with us today. He was on with Pastor Mike last Monday, and he's going to be joining me as well today. And that will be David Clausen from the Family Research Council. He will be joining us in just a few moments as we take your questions again on the Bible, the Christian faith, and current events, which with David on the program, this is a great day uh, to call in uh, with both of those things, uh, both those kind of kinds of questions. Um, also, let me give you that number again. If you'd like to give us a call, 8888-ASK-CSN or 888-827-5276. And so as we wait on David, I just want to uh, encourage our listening audience uh, to remember and to keep the nation of Israel in your prayers. Uh, it is very, very vital. Uh, the nation of Israel, uh, as tiny as it is, uh, is being attacked. Um, really, though it just seems to be ter- terrorist organizations such as Hamas and Hezbollah, all these organizations are backed and uh, have the support uh, of most of the Arab nations around them, the Muslim nations around them. And so they desperately need our prayers. They uh, really are the victims of uh, these horrible demonic atrocities uh, that began uh, on October 7th. And um, it's amazing how the world has risen up, um, especially America here in our own country this past weekend. You know, our own secretary of state made a, a journey to Israel and he did so uh, not to show Israel support, but actually to meet with the Palestinian Authority and to uh, to actually uh, show them support. And, uh, you know, when it comes down to this issue with Israel, Israel has no other recourse than to protect herself as as a nation. And it's important that we understand that. As uh, one of their famous prime ministers, Golda Meir, once said, um, that when it comes to those that hate you, uh, you can't you can't have a ceasefire. You can't live in peace with those that hate you and want to destroy you. And so that's what we see going on uh, there in the Middle East. 
And there's a lot of propaganda. There's a lot of lies. There's a lot of things being said uh, that is fueling anti-Semitism, uh, not only there in the Middle East, but all over the world and uh, especially and, and including right here uh, in our own country. And so we have we have to remember uh, that as long as America is seen as an ally of Israel, we also become the target um, of all of those who are against Israel. Uh, as you know, the uh, the Muslim world, especially uh, the leader of Iran and, and the uh, religious leaders there, uh, call America the great Satan and uh, Israel is the little Satan. And as long as we uh, support Israel, uh, they're going to they're going to have a, a target on us and and uh, be against us as well. And so the best thing that we can do, what what is the best thing we can do, you know, as, as a nation uh, and also uh, as Christians is to realize that when it comes to the nation of Israel, number one, that is God's land. He gave it to the Jewish people. Uh, the Jewish people have had that land for thousands of years. They've never officially, quote, lost it. It was God's. He gave it to them. Uh, and that all the way, that goes back all the way uh, to the book of Genesis, chapter 12, and so forth throughout the Bible. That's uh, very clear uh, that the land belongs to God. He gave it to the Jewish people. And also we have to remember that when it comes to that part of the world, uh, Israel is the only democracy, is the only true free nation uh, in that whole area of the world. And we as Americans, as, as the United States of America, and as Christians need to stand with her and support her. And I am so glad that I have support now <laughs> with Mr. David Clawson with us here on the program today. He is the director for the Center for Biblical Worldview at the Family Research Council with our good friend, Mr. Tony Perkins. And so it is great to have David with us today. David, welcome to the program and uh, thanks for joining us. Hey, it's a joy to be on the program with you today, Pastor. Yes, it's so good. I know we've been on before together. And so when I found out I was going to be on with you today, I was uh, ecstatic and so joyed. And uh, also, let me say real quick here, David, I I hope my time frame's not off too much, but I want to say congratulations because you just got married not that long ago, correct? No, that's right. It was only a, a couple of months ago. And yeah. so uh, in experiencing the, the Lord's kindness uh, in, in marriage and it's been, a, it's been a huge blessing. So just grateful for that. And so th thank you so much. You got it, my friend. And, and also speaking of marriage, uh, I appreciate, uh, receiving a book that you wrote and congratulations on your authorship of the book, uh, called He Created Them Male and Female, right? And can you tell us a little bit about that book that you had a part in writing? Absolutely. Um, so, uh, yeah, male and female, he created them. We're obviously using the language from Genesis chapter one, verse 26 and that and the title there. Uh, but it's a, a book I co-wrote with uh, Denny Burke and Colin Smothers. And it's an eight week study on gender, uh, marriage and sexuality. Uh, there's uh, chapters that deal with transgenderism, identity, uh, intersex, homosexuality, marriage Um and really, uh, my co-authors and I are, are grateful that there's good book-length treatments on all of those issues. Uh, but in our view, there wasn't anything that a kind of a small group or a family could use uh, kind of for group discussion. So we put this together actually as a group discussion. Uh, and I've been so pleased uh, 
to hear from pastors all over the country, actually, who are using this for like Wednesday night Bible study or the Sunday school classes that are using it. Uh, there's videos that go along with it. People like Dr. Moeller uh, contributed to that part of the project. And uh, uh, so, again, uh, and by the way, uh, Pastor, the, the, those videos you can actually access for free on the, the website, he created them.org. If anyone just wants to see the videos, they're meant to go with the book. Uh, but we put them on the site just so anyone could benefit from the teaching of people like Dr. Moeller, uh, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, Dr. Christopher Ewan, uh, and other folks like that. Great. And, you know, such a timely book and a help for the body of Christ at this time that we're in where there's so much confusion. And, you know, that confusion that's in the world has been seeping into the church and so, uh, you know, a, a book like this, uh, a study guide like this uh, is just a blessing to the body of Christ. And, David, we thank you so much for that. And then also, too, real quick, uh, we've got callers waiting. Uh, before we go to the phones, go ahead and real quick, tell us what it is, the work that you do there at the FRC. Yeah, absolutely, Pastor Scott. So uh, I serve as the director of our Center for Biblical Worldview, uh, which means I do research and writing and speaking on really – all the issues. Uh, so whatever's kind of in the news, whether it's the abortion issue, issues related to family and sexuality, um, uh, even recently in your uh, introduction when I when I came on to the to the show, uh, talking about Israel, uh, how is we how do we as believers think about these issues? Not first and foremost through a political or a legal or a philosophical perspective, but how do we think about these issues through the lens of God's word? Because there's a lot of issues. Um, that, you know, uh, I think, uh, we could talk about immigration or tax policy, that maybe there's not a direct thus saith the Lord. But there's some issues where there is uh, a chapter and a verse that we can point to to get God's perspective. And so my work at FRC, uh, working with just the experts we have here, is trying to provide that theological and biblical perspective, uh, to all of the issues. Great. And David, thank you so much for your work there. And please pass on. Uh, from myself and all of us here at CSN to Tony, uh, thanks for all the great work you guys do there in championing freedom in our country. We appreciate you so much. And let's go ahead and go to the phones. Um, real quick, let me give you the number again, 8888-ASK-CSN. If you'd like to ask a question today, that's 888-827-5276. And let's go to Will in Post Falls, Idaho. Will, you're on the program. Yeah, thank you, gentlemen, for taking my call. Um, mm-hmm. I have a two-part question or kind of Two questions, I guess. Um, so first, I met with a pastor. So I was l- looking for a home church, and I met with a pastor um, and discussing about attending there and serving. And during our discussion, he mentioned that they stand somewhere in the middle between Calvinism and Arm- Arminianism. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I pronounced that right, uh, which kind of drew a red flag to me, at least on the Calvinism side. And um still trying to understand a little bit on the Armenian side a little more. Um, I did some of the research. I watched some old clips that Chuck Smith spoke um, against the Calvinism, and um, and I understand kind of what the difference on that. But I'm just kind of curious. Kind of, you know, they just say they kind of stand in the middle. And then mm-hmm. um, the second one, I had a family member recommend a, a different church that they um, thought it was a fairly biblical, solid biblically, and um, I just do my due diligence in reading their statement of faith, and I, I read that they stand with a, um, I'm not sure if this sounds right, but Nicene and the Apostle Creed, and then in those creeds, 
what they wrote is they mentioned that they believe in one holy Catholic church, and then in parentheses it says global church. And then I was just curious, in that one Catholic global church that they're saying, is that part of the Pope's movement for the possible one-world religion of Chrislam? Okay, Will, those are some great questions. We're going to break those down for you. Let me just real quick just throw this out here. Uh, as far as it concerns that word Catholic in the Nicene Creed, uh, the word Catholic simply means universal. Now, I can't speak for the particular church that you read that information from, that particular church. I, I don't know them. I'm not familiar with them. So I couldn't speak directly of what they're trying to communicate by using that. But I can say that in that instance, in the creeds, the word Catholic doesn't mean Catholic as in Roman Catholic, but the word Catholic simply means universal. That may be why uh, in their literature or whatever it is that you read, that may be why they put in parentheses global, meaning, uh, you know, the, the Church of Jesus Christ around the world. But again, uh, you would have to know more about the church to know exactly what they're doing with those terms, because in this day and time, I will, I don't blame you. Those would be questions and, and red flags to me as well is, uh, in using that. Are they just saying, you know, those that are born again in Jesus Christ are just part of the universal body of Christ, uh, as is true. Um, and as the, uh, creeds would, would suggest, or are they trying to communicate something otherwise? Um, I would, I would say without knowing the church to say, Hey, it's, it's, it just means universal. Um, but again, you'd have to know more about the church. And as far as the question about Calvinism, Arminianism, uh, the reason that you in listening to Pastor Chuck Smith teach on the subject, um, of when it comes to, uh, salvation in relation to Calvinism, Calvinism, Calvinism and Arminianism. The reason Pastor Chuck would say something such as Calvary Chapel stands in the middle uh, of those beliefs uh, is simply because um, when you read the Bible, the Bible teaches that in our salvation and in God's relationship to us and in his dealings with us, God is sovereign. We agree with the Calvinists that God is definitely sovereign, okay? Um, and then also, uh, when you in talking about God's sovereignty, when you look in the New Testament, you will see different terms um, where it speaks of God predestinating believers, uh, where it also speaks about him choosing believers before the foundation of the world. The Bible says those things, and those things are true because Scripture says them. But the, where the question comes in and where the debate comes in, which has been uh, since almost the beginning of the church, is the balance between verses like that and then verses that tell us that uh, whoever believes uh, on the Lord, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever believes uh, sh should not perish but have everlasting life. Whosoever will may come and drink of the water of life freely. Uh, and so this is where this is where the debate comes from is when it comes to salvation, is it God's sovereignty and him choosing us? Or is it the fact that we as human beings have a free choice? And we, we have the, the free will to choose to follow the Lord or not. 
And though I believe that both of those things are taught in the Bible, and and I believe it was, um, I, I, I'm trying to remember, I think it was Charles Spurgeon, it may have been D.L. Moody, but one of them said this. They said, you know, they were asked this question about how do you reconcile uh, God's sovereignty and man's free will, and their response was, you don't have to reconcile friends. They're both truths. They're both in the Bible. Somehow in God's plan, they both work together. And so that's why you would hear Pastor Chuck say something like, uh, we don't stand on the side of Calvinism, Calvinism, nor do we stand, as far as Calvary chapels, stand on the side of Arminianism. Um, because what happens is when you, when you go into Calvinism too far, what you get into is this belief that, that literally is called dual, uh, dual predestination. In other words, the belief there is taking scriptures and using them to say that God not only chooses those who will go to heaven, but he also chooses and predestinates some to go to hell. So that means that some people were created literally for destruction, uh, for eternity in hell. And I don't believe the Bible bears that out in any way, shape or form. Okay. And I'm not saying, I'm not personally saying that every Calvinist believes in that to that degree, but that's where this argument leads on that side. Um, and then on the other side, when it comes to Arminianism, the, the real issue there is the fact that, you know, um, those who lean toward Arminianism say that God, that man does inherently because he has some good in him, he can choose, uh, what is right, uh, even apart from the Holy Spirit. And the Bible doesn't teach that either. The, the Bible teaches that there's not, nothing good in any of us, that, that none of us seek after God. There's none good. There's none righteous. And for us to be saved, uh, God has to send the Holy Spirit to us to convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment, uh, to be able to draw us to God and draw us to faith in Christ. So it's, it's, it's trying to take all these scriptures and, and, and bring them together, uh, where we understand them, uh, in the way God wants us to. And I believe as you look at all of those things, we, we land, at least for me, and that's why I'm a Calvary Chapel pastor. Uh, I land right in the middle, as Pastor Chuck would say, um, because we believe both of those things are true. Now, now how do we exactly reconcile them, uh, to satisfy our own curiosities? Um, that can be difficult. So anyway, I, I just use that as an introduction. David, I'm going to give it over to you and feel free to go right ahead and just expound on some of this as you feel. Yeah, I think, Will, I, I really appreciate your question. I, th- I would just add to the good answer that you've already received uh, by pointing you to a 2005 article uh, that Al Mohler, uh, president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, wrote. Uh, where he talks about the uh, issue of theological triage. So again, first of all, I want to commend you for looking at a faithful church. Uh, all of us who are Christians should be part of Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches. Uh, the, I was on uh, To Every Man and Answer just a couple days ago, and uh, someone asked what to look for uh, when they're joining a church. And I said, first of all, you look for a church that believes and preaches the Bible. Um, now, there are a lot of issues uh, that we debate amongst ourselves as Christians. And, and so how do you decide, you know, which issues are important enough to, uh, to, to make that decision? And so Dr. Moeller has what he calls theological triage. Uh, so he says, you know, so again, using kind of just triage, you know, you go to a hospital, uh, the people that are in uh, the most acute need of help get the help. And if you just have a little band, you know, boo-boo, uh, you'll be kind of put, sit in the waiting room a little bit. 
But for theological triage, the way it works is for first-tier issues. Uh, these are issues that you have to believe to be a Christian. Uh, to be a Christian, you have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You have to believe in the Trinity. Uh, you have to believe that the Bible, Old and New Testament, is the Word of God. If a church is not clear on these issues, uh, run. Uh, that That is not a faithful church. Uh, but on secondary issues, these are issues which are important enough uh, that you're going to have splits in denominations. Uh, you're going to have, so the reason I'm a Baptist rather than a Presbyterian is on the issue of baptism. Uh, I, I believe that the, the, the candidate for baptism is as an adult, uh, someone who's come to faith as, as an adult, and they're following Jesus in baptism as the outward profession of their faith. Now, do I think my Presbyterian or my Methodist friends are not Christians because they differ with me? Of course not. But it's an issue that's, strong, that's significant enough to where we can't be uh, members of the same church. And then there's tertiary issues. Now, these are issues that people can go to church together and disagree on. So I think the issues like eschatology, are you premillennial, amillennial, postmillennial? Um, these are issues that we can sit next to each other in the same church um, and agree to disagree. In my view, uh, Calvinism and Arminianism, it's a really significant issue. Um, but in my own denomination, the Southern Baptist Convention, you don't have to be either Calvinist or Arminian to be a part of the Southern Baptist Convention. It's a tertiary issue. It's a, it's a, it's a really important issue. I have my strong beliefs on the issue. Uh, but again, I can go to a church with someone who disagrees on issues related to Calvinism and Arminian. So I think, uh, again, I would commend to you that article from Dr. Moeller from 2005. And make sure the church that you go to agrees with you on those first-tier issues and the second-tier issues. But then I think we can have grace for some of those tertiary issues. That's great. And uh, thank you so much, David. I really appreciate your insight there. And, uh, Will, you know, it's it's interesting, too, because, um, you know, I have friends, uh, pastor friends, um, who are Calvinists. Um, and what's interesting is um, the reason we've became friends is because of the things that we agree on in the Bible, not the things that we disagree on. And again, um, I think when we when we when we when we go down the the road of saying that you know again that God has predestined some to go to heaven and others to go to hell, I think that's where we're going too far when it comes to these isms. And we got to be careful because we got to stick with what Scripture says. Uh, but at the same time, what's interesting is, uh, as David said there, I have, you know, pastor friends who are Calvinists. In fact, uh, one of my good friends who's a Calvinist pastor was saved in a Calvary Chapel church and, uh, actually, um, has invited me for the last two years to come to his church and be one of the speakers at his prophecy conference at his church. And the reason for that is because him and I agree on Bible prophecy. We we are both pre-tribulational, pre-millennial in our beliefs of end times. And so though I'm a Calvary Chapel pastor, he invites me to his uh, church and uh, and I've invited him to our church. In fact, a few weeks ago, he came and spoke at our church. Um, and what's interesting is when he comes and speaks at our church, he knows exactly what we believe, um, you know, uh, uh, when it comes to, you know, these issues. And, um, and he knows how to respect us and, and when he speaks to our church and I know how to respect him. Um, so as David said, you know, these are not things that should divide us. Um, but you know, there, it, it, it comes down to this anytime that anybody, whether they're Calvinist or Arminianist, uh, start getting militant in their beliefs and, um, and start telling people things that go against 
plain scripture, that's where we run into the problem. So, Will, does that help at all? It does. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Yeah, well, Will, God bless you. Thank you so much. And if you would hold on, uh, the folks at CSN have some uh, good things they'd like to send out to you. And we thank you for the questions. And so let's go ahead and go to Chris now. Chris is in Mountain Home, Idaho. Chris, welcome to, to Every Man and Answer. Hey, how are you doing? We're blessed. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I have a question. I'm going to try to word it the best I can. So okay. is there anywhere in the Old Testament where, like, God is telling Israel to, you know, basically kill anybody who won't convert into, I don't know how to label it, other than Judaism? Um, like, I know there's a few places where he tells them to utterly wipe out, like, a people, and I know it's because of the things they were doing and they had been warned, and I'm not really speaking of, like, a, those few situations. I'm in like kind of a debate with somebody and they're trying to like compare it to like Islam and saying like, you know, in the Old Testament, it was the same way that Islam would be with, you know, basically kill people who won't convert. Okay, Chris, that is a great question. And I'm glad we got David on the program today because this this sounds like a good worldview question. David, you know, when it comes to the Old Testament where God told Israel to wipe out uh, you know, all those ites that were in the land that he was giving to them. And anytime God had Israel to do that, um, was, is that the same as what we see with Islam today and jihad and, and that sort of thing? How, how do we reconcile these two things when we look at the Bible and we look at the world today? Yeah, absolutely, Pastor Scott. So one scripture that I am pulling up right now in my Bible to to look at uh, where this command is found, Chris, is Deuteronomy chapter 20, uh, verses 16 through 17, uh, where it says, um, In the cities of the nation the Lord your God has given you is an inheritance. Do not leave anything that breathes. Completely destroy them, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded you. And so I think the question that, again, this is a, a pretty uh, well-known apologetics question, is why did God command for the, the killing of the Canaanites? And we, one answer to that is uh, the Canaanites uh, were being judged uh, for a rampant, uh, unrepentant, uh, sheer wickedness. Uh, you know, in the news recently, some of the atrocities of Hamas have been uh, documented. Uh, the, the Canaanites were similarly bloodthirsty, immoral, wicked people. Um, and so as a result, part of the, uh, re, you know, obviously the Israelites were given the land as a promise, uh, the promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, but they were also the means by which God executed judgment on the Canaanites. Now, a really important point to note here, though, um, is that this idea of convert or die, this wasn't what was happening in the same way where you get to Islam maybe in the 7th century A.D. And in fact, you have people, you have Canaanites uh, that are grafted in uh, to the people of Israel like Ruth, uh, like Rahab. Um, but again, they were they willingly chose to follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, but there was no convert or die. David, thank you, David. If you would, hold that for just a moment. Chris, stay on the line with us because that's the music. We're coming up on a break, and after the break, we'll come back and let David finish answering your if question. If you are 65 or older, you know this. Watching your hard-earned dollars fly out the window on health care costs is frustrating. Well, here's something that can really help, and it's worth taking a minute to look into. MediShare 65+. Plus. MediShare is a community of Christians who share each other's health care bills 
And it really is a community, too. People encourage and pray for each other. Well, MediShare 65 Plus is a low-cost option for those with Medicare Parts A and B, and it fills in the gaps where Medicare stops. It's a great way to fight inflation, too. You can lock in one low monthly price for up to 10 years. And it's easy. You can use any Medicare-approved doctor or get 24-7 telehealth access from the comfort of your home. Very worth looking into during Medicare open enrollment, which ends December 7th. If you join right now, your second month share will be free. So don't miss this chance. Call 833-90-SHARE. That's 833-90-SHARE. 833-90-SHARE. As the days grow darker, children are under more attack than ever. And sadly, it starts at conception, as one in five pregnancies will end in abortion. But in the midst of this tragedy, Preborn's network of clinics are bringing renewal and life to hurting mothers and at-risk babies. Preborn's mission is to equip pregnancy clinics with ultrasounds to help save babies' lives and souls. That ultrasound changed everything for me. It really did. That made it all worthwhile to know that I was going to have a little blessing. And when she got here, it was just, oh, my gosh. When a mother meets her baby on ultrasound, the majority of the time, she will choose life. To learn more about the life-saving work of preborn, call 855-668-BABY. That's 855-668-BABY. Or visit preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Welcome back to the second half of Monday's edition of To Every Man and Answer, or should I say welcome to the second half <laughs> to uh, today's edition of To Every Man and Answer. I'm Scott Parker in for Mike Kessler today, and with me is David Clausen, and David is the director of the Center uh, for Biblical Worldview at the Family Research Council in Washington, D.C., and we are so glad to have him on with us today. And right before the break, David was in the middle of explaining and answering Chris's question about comparing and how does this relate where God uh, commanded the Israelites when they came into the land of Canaan uh, to wipe out the inhabitants who were in the land. How does that compare with uh, what we see with Islam today? and jihad and them killing people for religious purposes. How does all this, how do we reconcile this? And so, uh, Chris, uh, if you would hang on and we're going to go ahead and let David finish answering this question. And so David, if you would go ahead and pick up where you left off and, uh, and share with us. Yeah, Pastor Scott. So the, the break gave me an opportunity to flip open to Genesis, actually, chapter 15, uh, mm-hmm. verses 13 through 16. It's actually a really helpful passage. This is God talking to Abraham, uh, actually telling the future what's going to happen. And he says this in verse 16, uh, they shall come back here to the land of Canaan in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. What we need to realize here is that God gave the Canaanite people 400 years to repent, and they did not repent. 
And so God brought about a judgment on the Canaanite people. And what's really interesting, when you read the book of Joshua, especially the early chapters of Joshua, uh, the Canaanite people hear about the awesome deeds of God through the Israelites. They hear about the Exodus. They hear about the parting of the Jordan. They could have repented, but they did not repent. Some did. Uh, Rahab and her family, they repented, and they were grafted in uh, to the people of Israel. Uh, But the others, even hearing about the works of God, did not repent. And so, again, God used the conquest of the land uh, really for a twofold purpose. One, as a means of judgment on the Canaanite people, and number two, uh, giving the people of Israel the land uh, that he had promised to their forefathers. And this was really important, um, and you see this play out in the Old Testament, uh, because we know that the people don't actually complete uh, the conquest of the land. And they were told, uh, you need to complete the conquest of the land, because this will be a way to prevent idolatry. And sure enough, because they don't complete the conquest of the land, you see that idolatry becomes a thorn in the side of the people of Israel throughout the entire Old Testament. And so I think more could be said, but hopefully that's uh, enough uh, to get us thinking well about this uh, apologetics question. Exactly. And Chris and David, that was great. And Chris, it's important to understand that nowhere do you see in the Bible ever God having his people hold a sword to somebody's throat saying either you believe in the in, in, in the God of Israel or Christians, you believe in the God of the Bible or we're going to have to kill you. You don't see that. In fact, you know, there's an interesting scripture, David, over in First Corinthians chapter five, where Paul is talking about uh, dealing with a brother in the church who is sin and who is um, not just who has sinned, but who is sinning. He's continuing to be unrepentant in his sin. And then it talks. Paul talks about how to deal with this brother. And that if he refuses to repent, to put him out of the church and to turn him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that hopefully that he would repent. And what's interesting, at the, at the end of that chapter, Paul uses an Old Testament scripture, um, and, and, to, and, and he uses it to say to believers, um, that what we are to do when it comes to dealing with unrepentant believers, in putting them out of the church is to cut them off in the sense of, okay, no more fellowship because they have to, you know, they're choosing the, the way of the world and, and, and the, and the way of their flesh. That's the way they got to go and to cut them off. And you go back in the old Testament where he's quoting this verse and it, it's, it's a reference to, you know, this person to be cut off, to be, to be killed, you know, and Paul's not telling us as Christians, take unrepentant believers in the church and kill them, you know? So it's interesting that nowhere in scripture, um, even in the old Testament with God's people, Israel and in, in the new Testament, are, are we ever as the people of God told, you know, if, if they don't convert to our way of thinking or convert to belief in our God, that we're to kill them, that that's demonic. That is, that's a culture of death. And, and our God is a, is, is, is one who in his word, uh, puts forth to us a culture of life. Jesus came to give us life and life abundantly. It's the, it's the devil. It's the thief who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And so it's important to just kind of remember those kind of principles, uh, when we think of things like this. And so Chris, does that help answer your question today? Yep. That was perfect. I appreciate it. Thanks. Great. Chris, thank Chris, you so much. Chris, let me give you one other, I, I can't help, but, uh, someone who's thought a lot about religious liberty in the New Testament. Um, you know, as a, a New Testament Christian, 
Um, the parable of uh, the wheat and tares is an excellent example uh, to see religious liberty in the Bible, as well as the the story of the rich young ruler. If you remember that story, uh, Jesus um, allows him to walk away. Uh, even Jesus doesn't force anyone uh, to necessarily uh, accept his message. And in the book of Acts, uh, Paul is constantly using the language of persuasion. He exhorts, he admonishes, he persuades, but he never coerces anyone to believe anything because guess what? Paul knows something that he knows the same thing that Jesus knows. Uh, most fundamentally, faith is something that is inherently interior. Uh, I might, you know, if I hold a, a knife up to someone or a gun up to someone, I might get someone to outwardly profess you know, that they believe Jesus is God or Allah is God and Muhammad is prophet, but that I actually convince them in their heart, no. And so again, as Christians, we inherently, that's why we believe and advocate for religious freedom for all people, because again, faith is something that's inherently on the interior. Um, and you see that throughout the Bible, uh, specifically in the New Testament, in Jesus's teaching and in the way Paul goes about uh, begging and pleading people to accept the gospel. It's all a matter of uh, assent. Uh, you come individually. You can't coerce actually anyone to believe something they aren't truly convinced of in their own conscience. That's a that's a great point, David. Thank you so much for sharing that. And, you know, as you were sharing that, what was coming to my mind, too, was John chapter six. I mean, where Jesus spoke words to them because it was difficult for them to understand. They left him. And then he looks at his own disciples, and says, do you want to go too?" <laughs> I mean, you know, it's 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 not like Jesus is is he's not forcing anyone to follow him. You know, he he showed us his great love in coming to this earth and dying for us. And, you know, for love to be love, it has to be reciprocated out of a willful heart. And so anyway, that was so good, David. So, Chris, thanks so much for the question. It was a really great question. And if you would hold on and the folks at CSN would have, have some materials they'd like to send out to you. And we have Ken from Illinois on the line. Ken, what's your question today? Yeah, um, yesterday in a lot of churches, like maybe Lutheran, Catholic, and I think uh, Methodist, Methodist Jewish, they have what is called All Saints Day, where they remember maybe people that have been part of their church that have died in the past year. And I just kind of wonder what you think about that practice, because I just think about people are, you know, are dead. It's like, why, you know, why do you want to remember them again? Exactly. And so... Uh, now, Ken, are, are you saying that this church, particularly you're speaking about here, has taken All Saints Day and they've kind they've they've kind of uh, modified it um, for them, or are they are they actually celebrating the traditional All Saints Day? Do you, do you know that? Well, uh, one church that I used to go to, um, what they do is they would put up pictures of people who have died within the past year that were part of the church. Okay. And I just kind of, you know, and I know there are other churches, you know, besides us or besides the one I used to attend that do this. And I just kind of wonder what you thought about the practice. Okay. Well, David. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Great, great question. Um, and I didn't catch your, what was your name again, sir? I'm sorry. Yeah. My name is Ken. Ken, appreciate the question. And so I'm speaking uh, as a Baptist, and kind of in the Baptist tradition, uh, this has not uh, been a part 
of kind of our liturgy. It's not really part of our um, kind of church culture. However, you're absolutely right in understanding that Lutherans and Methodists, but most importantly, uh, Roman Catholics uh, will do this. Uh, Roman Catholics, for example, this past Sunday, uh, Pope Francis observed a mass uh, where they uh, specifically prayed prayers on behalf of Benedict XVI, uh, the former pope who passed away, a- as well as other folks. Um, now, again, speaking as a Southern Baptist Protestant, um, I I don't think there's a biblical basis for praying prayers uh, for those who have passed on. Uh, now, again, my Roman Catholic friends uh, would disagree with me on that. Again, speaking to you as a Southern Baptist Protestant, I don't see there being any uh, benefit or uh, that that would accomplish anything praying for someone who has passed on. Uh, it's appointed once uh, unto man to die, and then after that, the judgment. I think the New Testament's clear on that. Um, however, uh, there are Protestant denominations, Lutheran churches, Methodist churches, uh, that will have a form uh, of All Saints Day where they'll, uh, even in some churches, they'll post pictures of uh, people who have died in the past year or even members of that local congregation. And uh, for some of those churches, the way they observe All Saints Day is it's just a time of reflection uh, to give thanks for these people, to reflect on their lives, uh, to reflect on their ministries. Um, and although that's not part of my own background or faith tradition, I understand how that could uh, be really appreciated uh, by some denominations. However, uh, again, I would be careful to remind my Protestant friends uh, that we would not want to slide into uh, approaching the day as our Catholic friends would, uh, because, again, I don't think there's a New Testament basis for it. Exactly. David, that was a great explanation and a great answer. And, Ken, you know, the the thing that I, that comes to my mind, to the forefront, is the purpose. You know, what what is the purpose of the gathering of the believers uh, in Christ? And that is to come together and to worship him. And to put the attention on him, to give the glory to him. You know, what, whatever, um, God has accomplished through any of us, um, the glory is to go back to him. And, and though we, um, should be thankful for the people that God has raised up, um, to lead his church, though we should be thankful for the brothers and sisters that God has brought alongside of us to encourage us and to help us. Um, I think the best way, uh, to do God's will is to always look ahead and go forward and not look back very longingly, you know? And, uh, so, you know, for me as a pastor, um, I would have a very, very difficult time, uh, taking a church service or time that we spend together as a church family that is to be used in worship. Uh, to our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, um, and to center that worship course on Him, um, through singing to Him, uh, through opening the Word and listening to His Word to us and building up the body of Christ in that way. Uh, I would just have a difficult time taking that kind of time and saying, Hey, let's, let's focus, you know, on those, um, people that he used. In fact, I, Warren Wearsby, um, you know, a, a great preacher from and pastor uh, from yesteryear who's went on to be with the Lord now. I'll never forget uh, something he said one time. He says, you know, God's, God's workmen come and go, uh, but God's work goes on. And really, that's the important thing for us who are living to remember is that uh, all of those who have died in Christ uh, and Paul makes this clear in the New Testament, they're alive. 
they're with Jesus. Um, but and, and so so they're okay. They're they're doing just fine. Uh, whether we memorialize them, whether whether we take a day to remember them and put pictures up, it doesn't matter. They're they're beholding the face of our Lord. So uh, they're doing better than they've ever done in in this life. And uh, and also too, as as David said, we don't want to slide into that error of thinking. Because, you know, I had a discussion with a Catholic priest one day, and we were talking about this whole whole thing about uh, saints interceding for us and praying to the saints. And I actually, I just said to him, I said, why would you pray to a dead person? Oh, they're not dead. They're alive. So therefore, uh, we should pray to them. And I said, no, the Bible makes it very clear. There is only one mediator between God and man, and that's the man, Jesus Christ. And so we come to God, Jesus, Jesus said, through him, through faith in him and in his name. That's how we come to him. And so anyhow, uh, Ken, I hope that helps you today. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah. I just And I just thought your thoughts were interesting because it just seems like when someone dies, you have the funeral and you kind of want to move on, then kind of right. having a, a day where you kind of relive that whole thing, I just kind of question that. And yeah. I think you, sh- I think you should, Ken. And by the way, the the verse that Pastor Scott uh, just read to, uh, that I think is really, really important. This is the verse to go to uh, for why we don't pray to Mary, why we don't pray to the saints. Is First Timothy two uh, five through six. Uh, absolutely crucial text in the New Testament that there's that one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. So just wanted to make sure you had that text before you hung up. First Timothy two, uh, verse five. Thank you. Okay. You got it, Ken. Well, thank you so much for the call. Hey, Ken, where are you in Illinois, by the way? Actually, I just live right across the river in Belleville. Oh, my goodness. We're right here in Festus, just south of St. Louis. So it's good to talk to a local. (laughs) Well, God God bless you. Thank you for listening, and thanks for calling. Let's go now to Idaho. We have Derek on the line. Derek, how can we help you today? Um, So Genesis 1 and 2... I'm curious, what day was man made on? Because Genesis 1 says the sixth day, and Genesis 2, verses 5 through 7, say before there was no bush of the field that God made man. And I was, I don't believe there's contradictions in the Bible, but I'm curious as to what, what to do with this, honestly. Okay, well, Derek, that is a great question. Thanks for calling with that question today. Uh, let me say this. I'm going to kind of set it up, and I'm going to give it to David to, to fill in all the blanks and give it to you. What's interesting is when you're looking at Genesis chapter 1, what you're looking at is you're looking at a bird's eye view of the six days of creation. Okay, that's what you're looking at. You're looking at an overview of the six days of creation. Okay, with the emphasis, of course, upon the creation of man in the sixth day. When you come then to Genesis chapter two, what you're seeing there is not a contradictory account or another account of creation. What you're looking at now is literally a microscopic view of the sixth day of creation. So in Genesis 1, you have an overview. You have it highlighted. You're seeing it from a bird's eye view. And then as you come into Genesis chapter 2, 
what's going to happen is God's going to bring us in now, like on a microscope, into uh, the sixth day of creation and particularly, um, you know, the second half where he creates man. So, David, go ahead and uh, fill in the blanks there with us for us. Well, Pastor Scott, I think you, you said it really well. Uh, again, gave me enough time to open up my Bible to Genesis uh, chapter 1. And, and I, I think, um, uh, again, to the caller, that a really helpful question. It's so important to read our Bibles closely and to read our Bibles carefully. Um, but I, I think the hermeneutic, and you know, hermeneutic is just a fancy way for how we interpret the Bible. Uh, the, the hermeneutic uh, to read this is kind of Genesis 1 gives us the quick blow-by-blow where Genesis 2 zooms in specifically and and gives us more details, kind of fills in the specifics. And so I'll I'll just speak from a a perspective of church history. Um, The church uh, for the entire church history really has understood man to be created on the the sixth day as kind of the pinnacle, kind of the apex of God's creation. Uh, Unlike all the creatures that are made, uh, man and woman is made in God's image, uh, which again, of course, that phrase has been debated throughout church history. But at the very least, it means that man is more like God uh, than anything else that's in the creation. And so I think the way to look at it, we know uh, that the Lord rests on the seventh day. That's the day of rest. And so just theologically, it makes sense to understand that man's creation comes on the final day of active creation, day six, again, as the apex, the the culmination of all the good things uh, that God has done uh, in the work of creation. Okay. So Derek, does that help? Yeah, it does. Thanks a bunch. You got it. Well, thanks for calling. That was a great question. If you would, hang on the line, and we have some things to send out to you. And let's go down now to Denton, Texas. We have Sean on the line. Sean, welcome to to Every Man and Answer. Hello, Sean. Yes, how are you doing? We're blessed. How are you, brother? I'm blessed. I can't complain. (laughs) How can we help you? Yes, I have a two-part question, if your time permits. Okay. Uh, the first part of the question is, how does the body of Christ handle the legacy uh, as opposed to the inerrance, the, well, the errancy, rather, the legacy and the errancy of Bishop Carlton Pearson, uh, who has moved away from the truth and began to embrace the doctrine of what we call inclusion, that no one goes to hell, that everyone will be saved, according to First John 2 and 2, that Jesus is the propitiation for the sins of the whole world. Okay, and do, do you have another question? Yes, and the second question is, uh, how do we reconcile, I mean, based upon our look in this scripture, when someone says uh, the baptism in water in the name of Jesus versus baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? Okay. Well, Sean, those are great questions. And uh, as for your first question, uh, I know personally from uh, just um, things that I read years and years ago uh, concerning Carlton Pearson, uh, how he had um, got away from the scriptures and got into this belief that you quoted as inclusion or universalism, uh, where uh, we they basically believe that because God sent Jesus and he died on the cross, everyone's going to be saved. Um, there was a man by the name of Rob Bell uh, who, you know, years and years and years ago used to teach the Bible. And then he got into he got away from, again, the scriptures and got into this idea of universalism. 
and wrote a book called Love Wins, that in the end, it doesn't matter what people do. God loves everybody, and he proved it by sending Jesus, and because of that, everyone's going to be saved. And that belief is called universalism, which is clearly not taught in the Bible because you have to take the scriptures that they use, such as 1 John 2, 2, and you have to uh, balance them out with all of the other scriptures that we have in the Bible, um, because we have so many scriptures that call us to repentance and faith in Christ, or else we do not have forgiveness of our sins and we do not have eternal life. So it's important to, to understand all of that. So, David, this is a great question, I think, for you. I'm going to go ahead and give it to you now. And if you would, if you can kind of share that and then uh, feel free to, when you're finished, if you want to talk about uh, baptism in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and in the name of Jesus and why there's tension there. Sure, absolutely. So just just very briefly, um, I'm not incredibly familiar with uh, the Bishop Pearson, uh, but my understanding is now that he is serving as a minister at a Unitarian church. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the fact that he's now serving in a Unitarian church, honestly, that tells me all I need to know about his theology because a Unitarianism uh, essentially uh, does not really require any subscription uh, to specific doctrine. Um, and so, again, I would say, you know, I'm very careful to call someone a heretic uh, because when you use the word heretic, you're saying that this is someone who does not accept the gospel. This is someone who's not a Christian. Uh, but I, I feel full confidence in saying that someone who's a part of a Unitarian church who embraces Unitarianism, who's teaching a univer- unit, Unitarian church, uh, is outside of the fold. And, and specifically, um, to this issue of universalism. Um, let me just give you, brother, uh, I think it was Sean, uh, a couple of verses, uh, um, because as Pastor Scott just mentioned, probably even more well-known is uh, Rob Bell, uh, who, who wrote a book. This is someone who my gen- – I'm a millennial. I'm 32 years old. Uh, my generation really liked Rob Bell, uh, and then uh, he decided he wanted to spend more time with Oprah than he did God's Word. Uh, but listen just to a couple of verses. Again, this is – don't take my word for it. Take Jesus' uh, word for it. But in Matthew – uh, chapter 25, verse 46, it says, These will go away into eternal punishment, uh, but the righteous into eternal life. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And, and elsewhere, Jesus talks about the goats, and he talks about the sheep. And so let's be honest, there shouldn't be any Christian leader or teacher that's excited to talk about hell, um, but uh, the Bible teaches about hell. And if the Bible's clear on the doctrine of hell, we need to be clear on the doctrine of hell. And my goodness, brother, uh, the, the reality that hell exists, that the uh, a place of eternal conscious punishment exists, that ought to drive our missions, that ought to drive our evangelism, uh, uh, because there are people that are perishing uh, and going to hell. Um, and again, this is something that the church has taught for uh, two millennia. Uh, and with that, I forgot what the second question was. Yeah, with you know, David, that was great. That's a great question or a great answer. We got about 30 seconds. Let me let me end it with this. And Sean, if we don't answer your other question, call back tomorrow and we can put you on the program to answer that question on baptism. But let me say this, when, as as far as... Carlton Pearson's, Pearson's legacy of his ministry uh, before he got into universalism. Here's the problem. The problem is not so much how you begin, it's how you finish. 
Okay. And the Bible is very clear, uh, and uh, with illustrations of people who began good, but they ended up wrong. And so, you know, when it comes to that, um, that heresy and, 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 and embracing that, uh, kind of affects everything they've done before. So, um, I would leave it with that. So anyway, David, thanks for being on the program today. And thank you all for tuning in. If you would, uh, tune back in with us tomorrow at the same time on the same station for more to Every Man and Answer. God bless you and good evening. To find out more about this ministry or to receive a copy of today's program, please call 1-800-357-4226 or write us to Every Man and Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. That toll-free number is 1-800-357-4226. Subscribe to the free podcast on iTunes by searching for To Every Man and Answer in the iTunes store or visit us online at csnradio.com slash TEMA. To Every Man and Answer is a production of CSN International, the Christian Satellite Network. The opinions expressed by our guests may or may not be those of CSN International or of this station. 